0: Good morning. Thank you for taking the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with us this morning as we open up the Scriptures and look at God's Word. As we get started, I would like to open us up in a word of prayer. Most gracious God, we just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And dear God, thank you for your presence with us. As we live in uncertain times, we just thank You for the hope that we have in You, our Rock and our Savior. Dear God, thank You for dying on the cross for our sins and making a way through Your death and resurrection and by us placing our faith and hope in You, repenting of our sins. Dear God, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to open your word, and I just pray that you would teach us through your Holy Spirit. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I remember when I was in college, one of the first jobs that I had was at a call center working for GE. Now, before we ever were allowed to answer a phone call or sit on the floor, if you will, we had to go through a six-week training program. And during that six-week training program, we had to learn about products. We had to learn about how to navigate the, the various catalogs. And we also had to learn about the computer systems that we would use in order to, to function. But after that six-week training program, there was a, about a, a week to two-week period of time where we would sit and just listen on the phones with our team mentor. We would kind of learn the ropes, if you will, and learn how to interact with the customers, learn the types of questions that we would get asked and learn how to resolve the problems that we would call or that the customers would call with. And I remember my team mentor was Freddie and Freddie was a great guy, uh, very jovial, light hearted, fun, uh, and Freddie knew his stuff. And I remember sitting on the phones with him the first couple of days and listening to how he interacted. I remember thinking, you know. This may not be so bad after all. And then I remember after the the first the first couple days, it was a Monday morning, and we were getting slammed with calls right and left. And I remember Freddie looked at me and said, Okay, I know you don't think you're ready, but you need to go answer some calls. We we just need your help. So I remember the sheer panic that I felt almost a paralyzing panic. And as my heart began to almost beat out of my chest, and I remember feeling weak need, and I remember walking over there, putting on the headsets, and hitting the button to say, Good morning, this is Chad. And it all started. Now, the customer that called in, He did not receive his Saturday a.m. delivery shipment that he was supposed to get. So as you can imagine, he was unhappy. And he wanted to make sure that I was aware of just how unhappy he was. You see, I've titled our time together, The First Mission. And I tell you that story to kind of begin our time together, to remind us that we hardly ever feel like we're ready. Now, there could be any number of scenarios where that statement can apply to. It can mean taking a test, having a difficult conversation, taking a trip. You can fill in the blank with your own scenario where you feel like you're just not quite ready for taking that next step. But I would say one of the biggest areas that we feel unprepared for Is when it comes to telling people about Christ. Now, I may be wrong, but I would say that as Christians, one of the hardest things for us to do is to tell other people how they can have a relationship with Christ. We're afraid that we may not have all the answers. We're afraid that we may say the wrong thing or say it the wrong way. We're afraid that we'll look foolish. After all, that's why we invite them into the church so that the preacher can tell them about Christ. But it's an interesting thought. Many of us contribute to conversations all the time without having all the answers. Check out virtually any social media page on any topic and you'll find all kinds of people who aren't afraid to share things with you, regardless of whether they're experts. Many provide guidance and offer suggestions in areas that they know nothing about. We shake our head in agreement with those statements, but we need to be careful because oftentimes that actually includes us making those statements. We're those people. It happens all the time. And yet, when it comes to sharing our faith or even talking about Christ, we want to make sure that we have all of our ducks in a row and that we are fully prepared. But the reality is, that mentality is nowhere found in Scripture. That is something that we have justified in our own minds. I want us to spend some time this morning looking at the disciples. Jesus had called these twelve ordinary men out of their day-to-day lives and jobs in order to spread his message and ultimately to change the world. These men were not eloquent speakers or educated philosophers. They were not well dressed businessmen, and some may not even have had a bath in a couple days. In fact, these men wouldn't even make it through the nomination process to be selected on one of our committees that we have here in church, much less be considered for a church staff position. And yet, these men were selected to be the closest followers of Jesus, the Messiah. The ones who were going to carry His message to the world. I say that to encourage you, to let you know that there is room for each of us in the family of God. So I ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 6. Now Mark is the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. If you open your Bibles to the middle of the Bible and then take a right just a little bit, you'll run into the book of Mark. Now Mark is one of the, the first four books of the New Testament that capture the life of Jesus as He walked on the earth, His death and His resurrection. And these four books are called the four Gospels because they tell the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ and His life. So as you're finding your way to Mark chapter 6, let's kind of catch up just a little bit on what is happening. You see, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is in Nazareth, teaching about His kingdom that is going to come in the future, as well as He's he's healing people. But the people are, are in unbelief. They're saying, isn't this Jesus, the carpenter's son? And when we come to Mark chapter 6 and verse 4, is where we get the popular verse, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, the verse that, that Jesus says, you know, even a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. Now typically when we come to Mark chapter 6, two primary narratives uh, are highlighted here. One of it is Jesus feeding the 5,000, and the other is Jesus walking on the water. Now those are really big Uh, big events and big scenes that take place in the life of Jesus. So they are very important and, and are worthy of our attention. But I'd like for us to start reading tonight, or this morning, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. Mark chapter 6 and verse 30, and I'm reading for the New American Standard Bible. It says this, And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to Him, all that they had done and taught. Now, as we look at that introduction, there's several things that I would like for us to look at. First, the disciples. They're identified here as apostles. For now, though, I want you to kind of step that to the side. Just for a minute. Not too far, because we're going to bring it back to the conversation. But for now, just kind of step that to the side. But I want us to, to also notice... That they are gathered together with Jesus. You see, we often get so comfortable with Scripture and the familiarity with it that the images of Christ oftentimes get kind of overlooked. The power and the beauty of truly Jesus' ministry here on earth. You see, these twelve ragamuffins, if you will, are all literally talking with Jesus. Jesus, God in flesh, is demonstrating His humanity and His personableness through these interactions. Let's not forget that. Jesus is approachable. But also, the disciples are reporting back to Jesus, what they had done and what they had taught. Now, we know a little bit of the background of these disciples. And we know some of their personalities and kind of some of the things that they had done. So, we almost wonder, okay, what have they done now that they have to come back and give a report to? But I want us to focus on the latter part of verse 30. They reported to Jesus of what they had done and taught. Now, when we think of the disciples doing things, yeah, we can actually relate to them. Seems like they were always doing something and saying something that it may not have always been the best thing to say and do. They were really never highlighted for all the good things that they had done, so to speak. Oftentimes it seems like we see them really kind of pushing people away from Jesus instead of bringing them to Him. But teaching, is that really something that we associate with the disciples? Now granted, after Jesus' resurrection... We see them teaching quite a bit, but not really while Jesus was walking on the earth. So, when I read that, that verse, I really had to stop and do a double take. There were several things in that verse that kind of just jumped off the page at me. And i would read that verse before, but mainly I read that verse on the way to the, the narrative of feeding the 5,000 and the miracle that that is, and then the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. But this time when I read that verse, it was almost like there was a big road closed ahead sign in front of me that was really forcing me to stop at this verse and spend some time. So for our time together, well, I'm just kind of welcoming you to my detour, if you will. You see, at the beginning of verse 30, the apostles are coming back to Jesus. They're returning to Jesus. So that means if they're returning to Jesus, they had been somewhere, right? Well, where had they been? Well, I want you to go back just a little bit to Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Just a a few short verses from where we were. Mark chapter 6 and verse 7 says this, And he, that's Jesus, summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. And he was giving them authority over unclean spirits. Now who are the twelve? Well, that's the disciples. And Jesus is getting ready to send them out on a very important task. Now we find in verse twelve that Jesus is give, excuse me, we find in verse seven that Jesus is giving them the the power and the authority to cast demons out of people. Luke's capturing of this in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, says this, And He called the twelve together, gave them a power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healings in His name. So as as this scene is taking place, Jesus has called them to Himself. He's sending them out To not only heal and cast out demons, but also to to proclaim that Jesus is the kingdom of God. Now, it is thought that that this particular narrative is taking place about a year after Jesus has called the twelve disciples out of their, their normal lives. So they had walked with Jesus for a year. They had been in the crowds with Jesus. They had seen how he operated They were well aware of what he did and how he did it. Now, they may not have always got it right and understood fully what he was doing, but they certainly were aware. So when Jesus has called them together and he's giving them this power to do what they had been observing and watching him do, he is now letting them know that it is now their turn. It's time for them to go out and do. No longer are they riding the bench, if you will. They're now being put into the game. Now, some of us are comfortable just being on the team. We're perfectly fine sitting on the sidelines, cheering on those that are on the field. But we don't want to be in the game, much less we don't want the ball. But others, they want to be in the game. Others, they want the ball at the end of the game. They want to make that difference. Bench warmers seldom get into the game. Now, maybe bench warmers is not really the best word to use, so maybe we should call them reserves. But on God's team, He's commanded all of us to be in the game. There are no sidelines, there are no reserves. Our churches are filled with people. Who just want to be on the team. Some are perfectly fine being on the sidelines. But they don't want to be in the game. And they certainly don't want the ball. But you see that's not how God designed his church. And that's certainly not how he has gifted his followers. He hasn't called us to be reserved. He hasn't called us to be on the sidelines. As we notice in verse 7. Jesus brings the disciples to Himself. All twelve of them. But notice what He does next. He sends them out. Now the word send here in the Greek is apostello. And that word sounds very similar to another word that we had just read. And the idea behind that word is to, to separate or to create distance. To send away. But the focus is on the one that is doing the sending. So Jesus is sending away His disciples. But notice that He's not just sending them away empty-handed. He is sending them out with His power and His authority. Whose power? His power. I want to remind you of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 say this, And such confidence we have through Christ toward God, Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for this letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. Everything that we are able to do is only possible through the power of Christ. As Jesus is sending out the disciples, He's empowering them. So let's look at Mark chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, to find out what their actions really were. Mark six twelve through 13. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many people who were sick and were healing them. So can you imagine the conversations that took place from the twelve as they were sent out by Jesus? They have now just been commissioned to go out and represent the kingdom of God. They were to leave the comforts of the group, their daily routines, and even their roles of just watching. They have just been sent out for the very first time by themselves, With the message to change the world. They have now been commissioned as world changers. Now, when we look at verses 12 and 13, scriptures tell us that they they did what Jesus told them to do. They preached the kingdom of God, which leads to repentance. And then in verse 13, it's almost like they also healed and cast out demons. Now, the easy question to ask is are they really changing the world in these verses? For the person that repented and accepted their message, their world has been changed. In order for us to change the world, we change it one person at a time. It's interesting that the Scripture doesn't tell us the exact steps that they used to heal or to cast out demons. It doesn't tell us their techniques or their methodologies that they used in those teachings. It doesn't tell us how many people repented. Or were healed. Or who had demons cast out. Now God knows us so much better than we know ourselves. Because if those details were included, then we would try to construct a formula. And we would publish them in a book. And we would say, here's a surefire way to get results. It worked for the disciples, it'll work for you. These verses really were more about the faith and the trust that they had in the commands and the power that Jesus had given them. Had the disciples done this before? No. They had observed it being done, but they had never been the ones doing the work. Just like my days in GE, I I had heard Freddie take calls, but I had never taken a call before. They were now called upon to do the work themselves. They'd been on the sidelines. Now it was time for them to get into the game. I remember back in my coaching days, I had a kid on my team and his little brother would always stand beside of me. He wasn't on my team, he was too young. But he would always stand beside me. And he would always look up at me and said, Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Put me in. So let me ask you the question. Are you asking God to put you in the game? Are you asking God to use you? Are you asking God to disrupt your daily routines for His purposes? Are you asking God to be sent? Honestly, most of us probably are not. But the question is, why not? One of the things that Christ has really pressed upon my heart during this pandemic time period is he's been preparing his church for a time such as this. A time when the world can see who we really are. A time when the world can see us living out the message that we've been proclaiming. A time when we have had to live out that message away from the security of this building, if you will. A time, most importantly, when the world can see how much We truly place our faith in this man called Jesus when everything around us is uncertain. Christ knew that we would not willingly choose to be sent from the church building, so he did it for us. So let me ask, how's it going for you? Are you in the game? Are you on the sidelines? Or are you actually in the stands? You see, right now it is so easy to bash, to criticize, to get bitter, to argue, to take sides, if you will. There's opinions all over the place. I encourage you, don't fall victim to that temptation. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to use this time to think about how you are being inconvenienced. He wants you to use this time to turn negative. He wants you to focus on yourself. Because you see, as we focus on ourselves, no longer are we focusing on His sufficiency. Now more than ever is the time to reflect Christ. Point people to Him. Share Him. Now is the time to be the church. To quote a very good Missionary friend of mine Garth. He said this to his church that he has been praying for his church that they would not waste the virus and the opportunities that it has provided to us, like never before. And I would echo his prayers. Don't waste this time. You see, when when we arrive in Mark chapter six and verse thirty, notice what the disciples are called when they return to Jesus. They are now called apostles. This is the very first time that they have been referred to as apostles. Remember earlier I told you to kind of step that aside. Well, now it's time to kind of bring it back to the table, bring it back to the conversation. You see, the Greek word for apostle is apostolos. Now, in verse 7, we saw the sending out was a very similar word. Apostello. Jesus sent them out. He commissioned them for His ministry. And when they returned, they are now apostles. And upon their return, they gave Jesus a report. They gave Jesus a report. Huh. You see, we are responsible for how we represent Christ. Not only in the church, but outside of the church. So let me ask you the question. Think back over the past four to six weeks. If you were to scan through the the conversations in your mind, whether it be out in places or whether it be on social media, if you were to play through that, how well have you represented Christ? You see, we are responsible for what we do after being sent. And when I read that, I was forced to ask myself the question, have I given a report to Jesus for what He's asked me to do? He's asked each of us to go to different places in our sphere of influence. He's given each of us unique opportunities and a unique sphere of influence around us. But He asks each of us the same thing. And that is, proclaim His name and point people to Him. Reflect Him in a dark world. Maybe, just maybe, during this pandemic, we have been sent out from the church so that we can be the church because while we're at church, we just want to sit on the sidelines And it's now time to get in the game. Maybe we've been commissioned for a time such as this. And we're getting ready to have to give a report for what we've done or what we've taught. Just like the disciples did. Hopefully, really, really soon, we're all going to be able to come back together to to worship corporately as we are accustomed to. And maybe we're going to have to give a report. Maybe this has been your first mission. Now you may be asking yourself, I don't know what I'm doing. Let me encourage you. We've seen from the disciples that they didn't always know what they were doing either. But we must remember that Christ, when He sent them out, He empowered them. Christ has asked us to just be faithful and to tell people about who He is. The rest is in His hands. Please remember that you can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. Only Christ can do that. We're just to proclaim who He is. The rest is up to Him. If we continue reading through verses 31 through 44, we will clearly see the disciples still had a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn. There is so much improvement. There is so much that I still have to learn. Even though I've been a believer in Christ for a long time, I still have so much to learn. And I still fail. But will you join me in trying to improve together? To proclaim Him and to become more like Him? Whether you're a member here at at China Grove First Baptist Church, or whether you've not been to church in ten years... You see, it's not about the church you attend. It's about your relationship with Christ Jesus. You see, if you have already accepted Him, but you're not living the way He has commanded you to live, I urge you to repent. To turn away from that way you're going. Confess those sins of disobedience to God and the way that you've been living your own way that is contrary to Him. I encourage you to repent, which basically means to turn from going that way to now following Him and going His way. I encourage you to repent of those sins and turn to Him. Asking God to forgive you of those sins. Scripture tells us that if we ask for His forgiveness, He will forgive us. I ask you to repent of those sins and then proceed to follow Him obediently as He has commanded you to do. But if you haven't placed your faith in Him and accepted Him as Lord and Savior and became a believer in Christ, don't delay. I encourage you today. Now you may be asking, well, what does that mean? I don't know what it means to be a believer in Christ. I don't know what it means to be a Christian. I've heard that phrase, or maybe you haven't heard that phrase. Well, it means this. It means recognizing that we are a sinner. And what that means is we have missed the mark of perfection that is set forth By God. Nothing you can do can change that. You can't earn forgiveness. Nothing you can do can take that sin away. But God, in His grace, sent Jesus to earth to live a perfect life, a sinless life, as a baby. He grew up just like you and I, He died a horrible death on the cross. And when He died on the cross, in His perfect condition, He took your sins and my sins to the cross. He paid that penalty of sin for us that you and I can't pay for. On the cross, He died to death. And He conquered death. And He displayed His power over death through His resurrection from the grave. By us placing our faith in who Jesus is and what He did on the cross, Repenting of our sins, turning away from the way we're going, turning to Him, confessing to Jesus that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. We can have an eternal, everlasting relationship with Him. Our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And we have an eternal relationship that nothing or no one can take away from us. We are securely held in His hand. So today, I encourage you, if you've never made that decision, don't delay. It is a life-transforming experience. One like you've never had before. Because you see, through Christ, He is our hope. We certainly know that things around us fail. Things around us die. Things around us pass away. But through our relationship with Him, yes, we may Die physically here on earth. Yes, we will have pain and suffering here on earth. But we know that through the strength of Christ, we will endure. Even if we die here on earth, which we will one day, short of the Lord coming back, that we will be transformed and forever live with Him in glory. Worshipping Him forever. So today I encourage you to make that decision. Let's pray. Most gracious God, thank You for who You are. Thank You for coming to die on the cross for our sins. Thank You for paying that price. And thank You that Your work was finished on the cross. Nothing we can do can earn salvation. To God, help us to repent of our sins and turn to You. For those that haven't, place their faith in You. I pray that today is that day that they will come to know You as Lord and Savior. Dear God, help us as Christians to be world changers. Help us to proclaim Your name. Help us to point people to You and forgive us for when we fail. Thank You above all for sending Jesus. Dear God, thank You for who You are. God, help us not to waste this time of crisis that we're in. Help us to be the church as you have sent us on our mission. First in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for spending your time with us. God bless and have a great day.